Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 1 and 2, The Way of the Warrior. But before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say every single week, you should find us and follow us. And if you haven't, you're missing out because we actually have a contest going on right now, and that's the first thing I want to tell you all about, and it's the easiest thing in the world. All you have to do is listen to this episode and tell us something about this episode that you liked or dis disliked, being polite, of course, and once we get enough people who've commented and so forth, we're going to throw all your little usernames into a hat or something, we're going to draw one out, we'll reach out to you, and then we will send you your own completely free The Fire Caves mug, okay? So that's all you have to do, it's really simple, it costs you nothing but an hour or so of your time listening to our dulcet tones talk about our favorite show. <laughs> Now, uh, another part of housekeeping before we continue, I did say that this was going to be kind of a reunion of sorts. We were supposed to have some guests with us from another great podcast that we have here on our fabulous, ever-growing network uh, from the um, Expanse, the Deep Space, not the Deep Space Nine, but the um, Enterprise podcast. Um, but unfortunately, due to prior engagements, uh, those guests could not join us tonight for this episode. And as sad as I am about that, I'm also kind of excited because that means I get to talk more about my favorite episode of Deep Space Nine and that is saying something because there are so many great episodes in this show but finally finally we're getting to them and season four kicks it off with a bang so oh yeah Strap in, because there's a lot to talk about. We're going to keep some of the traditional things we do very brief so we can get to all the stuff in this amazing two-parter. But first, before we do that, David, how has your week been? <laughs> uh, it's been good. Uh, work, as I think I said it last week, up and down. It's been, <laughs> it just is what it is right now. That's your um, phrase, man, your go-to. Well, I mean, it really is that right now. I was actually talking with the guy who's my manager right above me, and he was saying it's been his experience, you know, some good days, some some not. We're like, it's just dead. And today was busy, good busy. Um, yeah, I uh, yeah. So it's been it's been good. It's been great. Give me some chance to read and uh, play. Uh, uh, so I don't know if anyone would have played Metroid Prime. Uh, way back in the day, but Metroid Prime Remastered came out about a month ago, and I got a copy of it. Uh, it was one of my favorite games as a kid, and the remake is great. It's just they just redid the textures and upgraded upgraded the the controls a little bit, and uh, man, it's a blast. So anyway, doing that, doing that at work, just killing time, and yeah. How about you? How's life? Uh, I mean, I've just been my, trying my best to keep busy with some other things. Uh, last week when we were 
doing this, I did tell people, you know, I'd hurt myself once again. And uh, I did go to the doctor finally and get checked out. I am fine. I strained, severely strained um, my lower back muscles. And so that was what was causing me the continued pain. And it's basically, like I said, I just need to remember that I can't just jump right into things. I need to actually do more in the way of stretching, which I, I know from my own personal history, I'm the worst when it comes to stretching before physical activity. I just, I hate doing it. It's just like, why am I working out to work out? Like that was always my mentality. And now I'm certainly paying for it because I've had numerous injuries or, you know, sprains, strains, whatever it is. And it all stems from the fact that I just don't do enough to warm up. So now I've learned a very painful, very intense lesson. And I will be um, slowly, well, not too slowly because it wasn't, it wasn't totally incapacitating, but uh, now I'm just taking my time more, doing more stretches and things like that. Still a little stiff with some things, but it's getting better, and uh, hopefully I can continue on this pace and really make some uh, better strides here. But other than that, it's been um, I'm pretty steady, pretty quiet here, you know. So, and I wanna I wanna keep it that way because you know the moment I start complaining about it being too you know, boring or whatever, something terrible happens. And now I'm just like, I kind of wish those boring days were back, but, um, (laughs) but no, all good stuff and hoping to make more good things happen here in the future. Um, Speaking of which, tomorrow night, John Wick. John yes, Wick 4, you and yes. I. Yeah. David and I will be going to uh, John Wick 4. It just came out uh, yesterday. It finally came out. The f- supposedly final installment in the John Wick uh, saga. And um, I'm excited to see it. I, you know, I'd heard about the movies when they came out, you know, originally or whatever, you know, but I did not. I did not watch him right around that time. Like, I think I waited a while before I finally got into him. And I think the premise of the movies was kind of silly to me when I first heard about him. But right. once I watched him, I was just like, man, they're, they're so action packed. They're just, it's great. Yeah. You know, I, I love that. I'm not saying that, you know, it has the most complex storyline ever, <laughs> you know, but yeah, um, that's, table. yeah, you know, that's, that's not why I'm watching. I wasn't looking for some kind of, Cannes Film Festival noir-esque, you know, story. I was just looking for a great... Casablanca 2.0. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. went to Casablanca in this last, the last one. Right. Speaking uh, of which, I did watch the second one and third one this week. I meant to, forgot to mention that. Um, a quick criticism John Wick? from... Yeah, I yeah. rewatched them, rewatched them. I've already watched the first one a time or two, so I didn't rewatch that one. But I was rewatching the third one, and I was like, man, the action in the third one felt the most stilted, in my opinion. It mm-hmm. felt... The most, like there were more more people that he's fighting who just suck at fighting, who just take a hit and then like pause and wait for him to hit them again. It's like the, the choreography wasn't as good in the third one. It was fine in the second one. Um, I wonder how much of that was. I wonder how much of that is, you know, the changing state of action that they can do in Hollywood these days, on top of actors getting older. And, you know, also some of the actors who are doing some of the stunts are pretty famous for their looks. And you don't want to potentially risk ruining right. that. Like, correct right. me if I'm wrong, Halle Berry's in the third one. And, yes. you know, you certainly don't want to mess up what she's got going on, you know, at right. all. So I could understand why some things may have seemed a little bit more telegraphed in regards to that. Especially when they do some of those close-up face 
fight scenes, you know? Yeah. You don't want to make a mistake there and, you know, put out an eye or scar, you know, somebody's yeah, face. Yeah, I and... definitely get that. But I felt like, I mean, again, I didn't only rewatch the second and third ones in preparation for us going to see the fourth one. But, like, in the second one, it it feels like there's a whole sequence where he's prepared for the big fight scene he's in. So, mm-hmm. like, he has guns hidden away, and so he's able yeah. to prepare. And then, like, he's being chased by assassins, but they're only, like, one at a time. But in the fourth one, he's just going through waves and waves. And then in the final fight scene, he fights two guys. And then he fights two more guys. And then he fights the, the, the final guy. And, again, it's, it's a lot of fun action, like, as, you, as you said. Yeah. But it's, it, it did feel like in certain scenes, like, it was – the choreography was just coming out more than it had in the second one. It looked more choreographed, and I was like, "Man, it's a bummer because it looks faker in this one." Oh yeah. Um, but I've been uh, really uh, into the, that a little bit, of, or a little bit, yeah, with um, some other shows that I was watching, some TV shows. Couldn't help but notice it was like, "Man, these fight scenes just look like they're just so it's so obvious." It's like, "What happened to you guys? This show did not used to be this way. Why are you all?" And that's why I was wondering if maybe there's been a change and how things are filmed, because I, I feel like I see that a lot now on so-called action shows. A lot of their action seems to have been dumbed down a bit, and there's a lot of pausing and holding, and you can tell where things were kind of cut and edited and it didn't quite match up, but, you know, like all that kind of stuff, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's clear. something has. There's been a change for sure in how right. action is done. Right. I did want to quickly mention, as a part of the John Wick stuff, is that the actor um, Lance Reddick recently died. Yes, he did. Yeah, apparently he. I don't. He, he I, died I of natural causes. Yeah, just he died of natural causes. He was 60, yeah. 60 I think 61. Was just sixty. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, still, still, you know, in good shape. In good, you know. There's nothing. Again, they said died of natural causes, so there doesn't seem to be anything that was. You know, out there that would have, uh, he wasn't like sick or battling some illness in silence or something like that. He just, right. yeah, he just was at home and then he was gone, you know. So, very sad, very shocking to hear. Yeah. And, um, yeah, definitely condolences to his, you know, family and close people that were to him and everything else. But, yeah, yeah very shocking to know. That he is not here, and he was a um, apparently he was a very big Star Trek fan. Um, <laughs> in fact, he and uh, Lavar Burton were actually uh, quite friendly, and yeah. uh, he visited the set of Star Trek a few times, just being a fan and using his star power to get on the <laughs> get on the set. So hey, you know, uh, like, like again, if you can, why wouldn't you? If you're a fan, if you're a fan and you have the clout to do that, to be on your favorite thing, why wouldn't you? Of course you would. And he, yeah, and he did. So there. Um, But yeah, uh, again, very sad. Um, I don't know who they could, I mean, there's not going to be anybody to replace him, obviously. I don't think they really need to. I think the movie was finished before he passed. So if he's in, and I I don't know if he's in the fourth one, but I think that he is. And so, yeah. 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 So I think that might, I think this actually might've been one of the final things that he filmed before he passed. So yeah, it's one of those things like he just died like a week ago and the movie came out just a few days ago. Like, I don't know if they had time to like fit in a little, Thing, a little blurb like oh know, i'm sure they did i'm sure they did i wouldn't yeah. be surprised at all if there was a quick update i mean it's not like it's it's like legit film anymore yeah. true, you know, true. Su- yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i just I'm, mean I'm like sure. 
I, what, I mean, I guess in the modern era, they can just digitally send the movie to the movie theaters. They're not sending physical copies anymore, so yeah. it's very easy to do that. But Yeah, yeah. To, uh, you know, to just update the file and then resend it out. Just be like, here, you know, this is, yeah. I don't think that would have been hard at all. I would right. be surprised if we didn't see something that said, you know, in memory of or special thanks to or something that acknowledged his passing. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised at all. I, yeah, I, yeah, again, I would be more surprised if we didn't see something like that. Yeah for him so um last bit of other news before we dive into this great episode because i don't think i can wait too much longer um (laughs) star trek picard is once again doing great things the fifth episode aired just this past week and that means we are now halfway through the final season of this show so um and again it's great there were so many great moments um in this episode i'm not going to give you any spoilers uh, whatsoever. Just that, it, it, again, phenomenal show. If it doesn't spawn spinoffs, I will be highly surprised because they've set so many people up, both OG characters and new ones. They've set so many of them up for great side tales that it just doesn't make sense to not use them. Um there was, in my opinion, a Battlestar Galactica reference in this most recent episode, and it was about um, ships being non-networked, which if you remember in Battlestar Galactica, that's the reason that the Battlestar Galactica survived the initial attack of the Cylons, because it was a non-networked ship. And so when the Cylons sent out their initial computer attack, the Galactica did not did not succumb to said attack. And so now in this particular episode... Though they didn't do anything with it yet, that's the only thing I'll say. They did make a point of mentioning all of these ships are non-networked. So that's why they are special. And I was like, uh-huh, non-networked ships suddenly happen to be potentially the saviors of humanity? Mm. Where have I heard this before? Where have I heard this before? <laughs> Looks like the so, references have come full circle. <laughs> mm-hmm. All of this has happened before and will happen again, eh? Gotcha. I see what you did there. So, and I was I was cracking up because I'm like, oh, you had Admiral Kane last week. Now you got the non-network ships this week. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop it with your reboots, all right? Get some Starbuck in there from. Oh you know, my! She's on yeah. the Mandalorian right now. What's her face? But uh, yeah. Katie Sackhoff, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but again, great episode. Uh, callback to so many different characters. Very nostalgic, but in such a great way. Even a Wrath of Khan Easter egg in the movie. And um, it was, we got a brief cameo by the Genesis device. And I was so happy when I saw it. I can't, I don't even know why. I was just like, what? Weapon of mass destruction is back there? It's the Genesis device? Oh, yeah. Instant flashback to a great movie. <laughs> just great stuff. So, But we are not here to talk about those things. We're here to talk about Deep Space Nine. And... Um, would you like to give the no, recap? No, you, you do it. Go okay. and do it. You want to do it. I'm I know I do. do it. <laughs> well, I'm going to try to keep this as brief as I can because there's so many other things we want to talk about. Um, but this episode starts off right in the thick of the action, right? We see Cisco and Kira barreling down a corridor and everybody's pepper spraying the uh, various rooms and corridors and everything else with phaser fire because we're searching for a changeling, right? There's a changeling loose on the station and they've got to narrow him down. And so they're doing these wide beam sweeps and everything else. Cisco and Kira end up finding him 
and uh, he makes a break for it and ends up on the promenade where uh, it's revealed that it's Odo, and they were doing a drill. And Odo, of course, kills, quote-unquote, kills the good doctor. Why is it always Bashir? <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. But, yeah, it always seems to be Bashir gets caught up by these changes. Remember, on the de- on the Defiant, a few episodes back, of the, the um, adversary, he was the one that the changeling went after, too. So, yeah. the doctor sucks, or he's got a weird smell about him. I don't know. Um, so yeah, it's revealed that they're doing these drills, trying to prepare for in the event that the Dominion comes streaming through the, um, wormhole and trying to see how much damage they can cause. Um, Cisco then, you know, calls off the, uh, drills. Everybody goes their separate ways. We see Cisco in his quarters. He's having dinner with Cassidy. He has shaved his head. He is now bald, goatee, sporting Captain Cisco, the way that he should be, should have been forever. And him and Cassidy are about to enjoy and enjoy a nice intimate dinner with each other when Dax calls, tells him to get up to the, get up to ops. He does where they are greeted by the Klingon flagship, the Negvar, which is being commanded by General Martok, one of my favorite Klingons. Martok then, you know, requests to be on, to come on the station. They agree to let their people on. And all of a sudden, all these other Klingon ships start decloaking everywhere. They're surrounded by Klingon ships. And uh, Martok then has a meeting with Cisco and Kira. They do the blood test, you know, slicing each other's hands to make sure that they're actually who they say they are, not changelings in disguise. And basically, he's saying that the uh, Klingons have come to set up shop. And they're here to fight alongside the Federation in the event, again, the Dominion comes streaming through the wormhole. Cisco at first is appreciative, but he's a little skeptical, you know, and uh, then they start running into some other issues with the Klingons on board the station. They are, you know, interrogating people on the promenade. They stop a ship, Cassidy's ship of all ships, and stop her because they were going to try and search her vehicle. Um, Cisco puts a stop to that, of course, but unfortunately, the captain of that vehicle that tried to uh, stop Cassidy was murdered by Martok. Cisco executed. Not, executed. To be fair. Yes, sorry. <laughs> for for dereliction of duty, because he was supposed to stop and search that ship. And even though Cisco made him not do that, uh, he was blamed for it. So he was he was killed. Right. Cisco realizes that whatever's going on with the Klingons, they're not telling the whole story, and it's gonna come to a head really soon. So he realizes he says, as Curzon once said, the only people who can really deal with Klingons are the Klingons. And so he gets start gets in touch with Starfleet Command, and they send him our resident Klingon, none other than Lieutenant Commander War, fresh off of an extended leave at the Monastery of Boreth, where he had been deep in religious study following the destruction of the Enterprise. He tells Cisco that he wasn't really sure what he was going to be doing with himself afterwards, whether he was going to go back to the monastery or not. He was considering resigning from Starfleet, but until he made his decision, he was going to do his duty, which now Cisco has charged him with finding out the real reason the Klingons are here. He starts trying to contact people and everything else, but that doesn't go very well. He has a confrontation with Martok's son, which leads to a confrontation with Martok, which was great. And again, we're going to talk about that later. Um... Finally, he's able to, he doesn't get any answers from anybody. He finally finds an old Klingon who owes his family a debt. They drink, they sing some Klingon songs, they headbutt each other, and then Worf is told the real reason that they're there. It's actually an invasion of Cardassia. Cardassia, Klingon intelligence has 
basically told them about the political upheaval on the Cardassian planet, and they believe that if there's going to be anyone who's infiltrated by the uh, founders, it'll be Cardassia. So they want to go there and control the planet before that happens, which of course for Klingons, control means brutal subjugation. So Cisco's like, well, we're not going to let you just do that, of course, and unless you have like definitive proof, no. And Martok and company is like, uh, screw you. We're going to do whatever we want because we're Klingons. That's what we do. And uh, they get into a little bit of an argument. But then he's like, I'll talk to Gowron, who's our, you know, the the chancellor. And uh, he leaves. He doesn't really talk to Gowron. He just launches the the fight early. And Cisco decides that he is going to find a way to surreptitiously get a message to uh, the Cardassians in order to alert them of the incoming uh, Klingon fleet. Because the Klingons are the allies of the Federation, therefore they can't warn anyone that the Klingons are coming, because that would be a betrayal of their alliance. Yada, yada, yada. Keep going. So this is... No, it's fine. So, of course, they use Garrick, our plain and simple tailor, to relay this message, which he does. Um, Dukat is just as surprised as anyone else, but he accepts the uh, message, and he accepts the potential help. Cisco agrees to take the Defiant to go and rendezvous with Dukat to rescue the members of the Datapa Consul. That's the name of the Cardassian uh, civilian government at the time. And um, they do. They go off on the Defiant. They use the cloaking device, which freaks Worf out. But they get there anyway. And um, they do finally decloak and open fire on Klingon ships in order to save the Cardassians. They beam the Cardassians on board. They give them blood screenings. Dukat complains rather than says thank you, and they hightail it back to Deep Space Nine with the Klingons in tow. Um, They make it back to the station only to find that not only have the Klingons followed them, but there's another even larger wave of Klingon ships waiting at the space station for them. Um, This one with Chancellor Gowron himself on board. And Gowron demands that they turn over the Cardassians to them. Cisco, of course, says no. You're not getting him, which pisses him off. Galran does his eye glaze, you know, that he does, and then um, opens fire. Everybody starts shooting at everyone else. The station is far more powerful than anybody believed, because I was watching it, and those phasers were cutting down those ships like nobody's business. Unfortunately, they were just, you know, really outnumbered. Eventually, the shields fail. Uh, Klingons beam on board the station. Hand-to-hand combat ensues. Worf is amazing again. Jadzia is beating people up as well. And O'Brien must suffer. He gets knocked down. Eye cut. Kira gets stabbed. It, it, it was awful, but it was also awesome. Great battle scene. Things eventually get contained. Uh, Gowron tries to threaten them, but Federation starships are on the way. So they're basically like, y'all need to get out of here, because if you don't, you'll be fighting a war on two fronts. They quote Kaelas a little bit, and then eventually Gowron decides to um, bug out. Now, I did forget the part where Gowron offered Worf a spot to come with them, but Worf refused. He said right. that, you know, honor wouldn't allow him to do so, whatever. And now yeah. he has now made an enemy of Gowron because he refused to side with him in battle. And right. as Gowron says, this is something that they cannot forgive or forget. Or forget. Yeah, you know, I love that. The eyes. And the other ah. thing, too, to be very clear, is that. Um, Worf believes that Galron and the Klingons want to return to the old ways of conquering 
And so when they decide to invade Cardassia and the Federation warns them not to, they uh, terminate all alliances with the Federation. So the the Klingon Federation are are done. Even though Curzon in Dax, Curzon Dax was a a respected name, uh, that that alliance as negotiated by Curzon is over, which was a huge development, obviously. So, yeah. So now a little little bit of Trek history before we get into anything else. The Kittimer Accords were actually one of the last acts, uh, were one of the last things established by James T. Kirk and his crew of the Enterprise A before they all went into retirement. Um, and that's actually the feature of the last Star Trek movie which featured them. The movie was called The um, Undiscovered Country. It was the sixth Star Trek movie ever produced. And there was this whole conspiracy because the, in the movie, the Klingon uh, civilization, right, because of the destruction of one of their primary mining moons, could no longer afford the military campaigns that they had been doing for generations. And uh, they were now looking at potentially becoming refugees because their planet was facing a uh, cataclysmic event. So there was a need to establish this peace treaty with the Federation in order to find them places to live and continue to thrive as a culture. And on the one side, there are people who were like, yeah, let's help them. That's what we're supposed to do. On the other side, they were like, "Uh, this is an aggressive, hostile species. The thing to do right now is crush them and bring them under our control. And so the conspiracy was to frame Kirk and McCoy for the murder of the then Klingon Chancellor uh, Gorkhan. And um, they had to uncover that plot, which they did. And the last thing that they that they did was to honor Gorkhan's memory. And so the new Chancellor then ratified the Kittimer Accords, which became the basis of peace and the alliance of the Federation for the next hundred and something years and then all of a sudden we have this conflict and Gowron cuts it ends yeah. it yeah. so there's your your trek backstory your trek history for you yeah. in this movie a nice little callback yeah. there to actually a really great movie especially considering you know it was the older cast and they were definitely feeling their age in it but yeah if you want to watch it and I mean, you don't really have to know anything about the other movies other than to know that it's the OG crew, but it's a, it's a solid movie. Nice action movie for them too. So good send off. Gotcha. That's the one right before generations. Yeah. Yes. It is the movie before generations. Gotcha. So okay. yeah. Gotcha. Well, um, what did you think of this two parter episode? I always have to ask you that first. Yeah. Um, well, it had everything in the text message I sent you after I'd watched it. It has action. It was humorous. And unfortunately, the problem with humor is sometimes it's hard to remember exactly what was humorous. So hopefully we can remember the jokes and why oh. they were funny. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's humorous. It's action-packed. And I'm action-packed in all the ways that I've wanted to see. Like, not only is the Defiant in, in, in the fighting here, but oh, the yeah. station finally was in a fight. This mm-hmm. is a space station. It was. It was. It's never been having to defend itself. And O'Brien is all like, "I never got a chance to test the systems. It could all fail. We could be blowing ourselves up." And it works. Of course, it works. <laughs> of course, it does, O'Brien. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it has a lot, and I'll, we'll talk about it more. But I'll, I'll just say it now: the thing that Star Trek has done, the most successful thing it's done, I would say, more than anything else, 
is make me like and understand Klingons. I never thought I would understand Klingons or appreciate them, and I do. They are fascinating species that this show has created, and they I'm are both so baffling. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so They're, glad you said that. They are both baffling and fascinating. They are both lovable and just and baffling. I'll just say it again. They are baffling, but they are they're just fast. All the words, like I don't no, repeat myself. I, but, I completely yeah. understand what you're talking about because that's how I felt about the Ferengi. I've hated the Ferengi for forever, but Quark <laughs> made me love the Ferengi a, a little yeah. bit. You know, I, 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 well, I won't say love. I appreciate them more because right. of Quark and Nog and Rom, um, right. even Moogie. But um, that's that's it. That's kind of like the extent. <laughs> I don't, I don't really like. Yeah, you, I just you get to know them a bit more. You the know. Grand Nagus doesn't do it for you. Uh, you know he's he grows on you too, like uh, like mold coming Wallace out of his Shawn. ears. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they do a great job of bringing some of these characters in there and the civilizations they represent, giving them more depth. You know, um, yes. um, absolutely. I think that the Klingons really come alive in Deep Space Nine in a way that we really hadn't seen before in um, both the original series and. Next Generation, which is funny considering that Klingons have been a part of Star Trek since the beginning. They were the first enemies, really, of of um, Captain Kirk and crew, you know? I mean, and now, again, they've established some of the best aliens that we've had. You know, the Romulans got their first start in the original series. Klingons did, you know, whatever. But then, you know, Next Generation comes along and really kind of breathed a lot of life into some of these as well. You know, like especially the Romulans. I, I would say the Romulans and the Borg were probably the biggest threats in Next Generation. Mm. And then with Deep Space Nine, it's this weird kind of alignment of Cardassians, um, Klingons, and then the Dominion. You know, what they do throughout the show. But yeah, you definitely get more depth of character and understanding of them as a people in Deep Space Nine than you do anywhere else. And it starts here. It starts with this episode. Yeah. Yeah, the Klingons, uh, I mean, obviously it's the original series, so I'm just going on TNG mm -hmm. here and all that. But yeah, the uh, the idea of this war warrior culture and like that's what they are to the point of like being just needlessly aggressive or even. Like part of me will say like, that seems ridiculous. Seems silly, but um, they've they've worked really hard to like make this culture work. It's it's a highly honorific society. Mm -hmm. uh, honor based, by the right word. It, it's an honor based. No, it society. is. Yeah, honor based culture, honor based society. Yeah. Absolutely. And they um, basically the way they work is is they are just always bold and they they commit fully to whatever it is they're doing, which is usually yeah. a some sort of aggression, but aggression meets aggression. It's not that like, the reason it works is because they are, they are, they match each other. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, you confront someone and you dare them to do something and they stand right up and they say, I dare you right back. And they stare each other down and then society moves on. And that's, it's like, I've always thought of it as, you know, they're, you know, we hear so much about Klingon honor and the honor code, but I always feel like for them, the honor code is a bit of a moving target, right? Every, every Klingon seems to have their own very personal 
interpretation of the honor code. There are obviously there are greater rules that they all sort of fall under, but whatever that thing is that this particular Klingon has decided to be their central point of their personality, of their being, that is where their honor lies and they and that's the aggression. They attack that aggressively. If you stand in the way of whatever that central focus is of theirs, that's where their aggression comes from. At least in the Klingons that we see that are are particularly highlighted that have a central focus. Martok, Galron, Worf. When we see them, they all have their own in, like particular thing that um that they're driven by and they kind of right. gather others around them to uh, follow in step, you right. know? And that's why, you know, when we see Worf at odds with Gowron in this episode, you're just like, you can, you can feel that tension. Like you said, you know, these two pillars here are against each other and, you know, you can see the desire even in Worf to initially, he wants to join, but his particular honor code is about, his his word, his promise, what he what that's what he stands for. He does not break his word. He does not, you know, go back on an agreement or anything like that. And he's not going to do so now, despite whatever desire personally he may have to join. And that's what he's struggling with in this episode. He's struggling to find acceptance, to find a place. And here's this person who is offering him one with his people and he can't do it. It was great scene. Yeah. Yeah, you have to wonder how much he says in this episode that uh his son is Alexander, right? Alexander. Alexander's his son. Likes being on Earth with his Earth parents. Um at least it's more stable there, I guess. Uh so I wonder how much of his decision was based simply on that. Like I'd be abandoning my son on some level to um and and my family on Earth. But um yeah. Yeah, Worf is a good addition so far. I mean, he was he's he's always a great character, but you can tell this is much more personal than ever before. I, I again, I'm going to agree with you. I felt like the moment that he came on, and we were like, and I remember the first time watching this episode, and him coming on and kind of meeting everybody and getting to work. I felt like he was a better fit here on Deep Space Nine than he was on uh, Next Generation. And as much as I loved him on Next Generation, I feel like he spent the majority of his career being told no by Captain Picard. He was always <laughs> he was always making suggestions. He was always trying to like protect and whatever else. And Picard was always You're like, right. "No, we're not going to do that. Yeah. No, we're yeah. not going. No, the, no." And the, it's just like <sighs> the vision of of Worf groaning and grunting and sighing behind Picard as he's like, "Well, we could fire phasers <laughs> or something." <Right. laughs> Oh, one of my one of my favorite episodes that highlights this is um, I don't know if you remember, but it's the it's a next generation episode, and it's a, I want to call it Space Baby because that's what I remember the most, and it's where that big worm looking thing they they find it in a field of asteroids, right? And it's this giant one, and um, it it lives in space and it floats towards the Enterprise at first. And then Worf's like, uh, it's generating some kind of weird energy. Maybe we should put up shields. And Picard's like, mm, no, don't do that. We don't want to seem hostile. And then as soon as the thing gets close enough, it shoots the Enterprise. And then Picard's like, uh, maybe, uh, yeah, go ahead, put up the shields, go ahead. And Worf's just like, <sighs> and, and, and does it, you know? And I was just like, 
the man he that was his whole job and then it was this no and then like and then there was another time where in the same episode where it was like uh yeah let's let's fire at it a warning shot or whatever because like no don't want to do that either and the thing gets close and then it shoots him again he's like okay one one tiny warning shot just one and it's like all day you're just telling this man no like just say yes once <laughs> just worth do what you have to <laughs> right just give the man give the man free reign yeah. you know and i was just like man i wonder how many people were like shaking out of bed because picard just wanted to get a little bit closer and didn't want to put up shields it's yeah. like come on you know so yeah he spent his whole career on on the enterprise being told no or don't act too hostile or whatever and then here on deep space nine he's not even on the station a full hour and cisco's like okay go Go to work. Do what you gotta do. I don't care. Just give me some answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Worf. Um. This is definitely a personal episode for Worf. Part of. I mean, a lot of what the plot is is you know, first off, is he gonna resign from Starfleet and go live among the Klingons? You know, be among his people. Um. I did think that when Cisco, like he says, I'm thinking of resigning, and then as he's leaving Cisco's office, Cisco's like, Mister Worf. Um. And he basically tells him like. Don't regret your decision. Like I, I think you'd be wrong to quit Starfleet. Oh, yes. And in that moment, don't, I'm like, don't waste good, man. That's what that was the first thought that I had when he said it. We don't it waste. What? We don't waste good, man. Oh well, I just felt like you don't know him well enough to like give him advice. That's my that was my first thought. Like Cisco, you just you just met him. Don't be telling him how to live his life just yet. <laughs> like at the end of the episode when he says, um, they're, like they're talking and you know Worf is preparing to go off and. Like go to some distant alliance and work as an officer. The Nibarite, the yeah. Nibarite Alliance. And he, Cisco has a great line. He says, "You know, I thought that leaving Starfleet, wrapping my my pain and my grief of over my wife's death, wrapping it in my uh, uniform and trying to toss it all away, I thought that might get rid of my pain. And I realized that was wrong. And I've never regretted staying with with Starfleet. And I'm like." Great. It was a great line, great moment. But I was like, dude, just I have to remind you that not everyone has your experience. It might be right for, for Worf to move on. I mean, just for yeah. who Worf is, don't don't put other people's, don't put your life on someone else, basically. So I was a little like, hey, Cisco, hold hold up on well, the advice real quick. <laughs> well, I I I agreed with what Cisco said, and I felt like he had a good bead on understanding Worf because, I mean, we have to remember, too, that there's a, you know, suspension of belief here, and we have to recognize that they've now been working together for several days, probably about a week or so, that they've been yes. working closely with each other yes. and dealing with things, and plus they were just, just attacked and fought right. a battle together and everything else, and Worf tells him when he first comes onto the station you know that he was he definitely felt that he was at a crossroads he felt like he had kind of lost his purpose lost his family a bit with the enterprise you know and he was just kind of cast adrift out here and right. didn't really know what he was gonna do next that's why he was at the monastery studying right. he was looking for direction and in that moment i kind of realized there's a bit of a parallel between cisco when he first came on the station and Worf when he's first coming on you know not on the same exact personal level but again remember when we first meet Cisco he was very much a man who was he was suffering he lost his his wife and, you know he was struggling with his family he again mm -hmm. cast adrift and was trying to find something to right. move past this state of grief and I think right. that's why I related you know what he was telling Worf at the end of the episode about 
you know, yeah, I, I've been where you are. I've had that same kind of struggle. And I know that, you know, this was an aspect of my life that gave me a lot of fulfillment and meaning. And to, I didn't want to suddenly throw it away because I was um, still caught up in my hurt. Right. And that's how I was taking what he was telling Worf. He was like, you, you know, you're, you're a great officer. You've been in Starfleet for a long time. There's a lot of reward here. Don't mm-hmm. throw it away on a whim. Like, just make yes. sure, you know. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's I, how I read his devi- his advice. Not as him being like, stay because I want you to stay, but more like. Be sure of the decision you make because you can't walk it back once you do. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. My you know, my point is just this is mainly a criticism of the first scene they have together when ah. again Worf is leaving. I I feel like it still plays a little bit into that last scene, but it's more a critique of the first scene for Cisco as the character of like, hey, w- w- I I understand you're trying to relate to him and you don't want him to leave on a spur of a moment. But don't make the mistake of thinking that his personal experience is the same personal experience you're having. That's mm-hmm. my point, is it felt like uh, Cisco was making that mistake of, hey, Worf, I know what you're feeling. I had the exact same experience. It's like, no, Worf is, he is a, he is an outcast in a sense. He yeah. is a man that is not quite in the Federation. He's not quite in the, he's not quite a Klingon in terms of, like, he didn't grow up with mm-hmm. them. Um, he's a great warrior. I mean, if there's anyone who this the title of this episode is referring to is it's Worf. Yeah. You know, the way of the warrior is Worf. Um, it's, yeah, it's great. definitely, it's definitely Worf. It, the way of the warrior yeah. is definitely all about Worf. And, right. uh, you know, you're talking about like his, you know, his past here. That was one of the things I was going to talk about tonight too. The history of Worf, you know, he has always been that outsider. And I mean, you can think back to the first season of next generation and how, how stoic he was. And he was just like a sentry on the bridge, you know, and he just, he barely, moved but he was always quick to action whenever there was a threat or there was a a danger you know and then you know we watched him as his character evolved and he kind of got to know people and he loosened up a bit but he still maintained this rigidity that never seemed to leave him and even here in this episode we see a lot of especially in that first part of him coming onto um the station and being greeted by uh chief o'brien and He's in uh, Quarks later, and he destroys the dartboard with one throw, you know. I mean, his everything about him was just he, he's I'm not very, much for games. Right. Very regimented. Uh, very think of it as target practice. Right. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, it's fine. That's exactly it. That's exactly the point. That he's just – he's so rigid and he's so serious all the time. Yes. And then he's now dealing with a captain who is – well, I mean, he's very different from Cisco, which leads me into the other thing from of Picard. evolution. Yeah. yeah, very different from Picard. That's what I meant. You undermeant what I stood. Anyway, um, he's <laughs> for our very, audience, for our audience. <laughs> yes, but he's very different from Picard. Again, Picard was also so regimented, so so about the protocol, and and yet when Cisco greets Worf, he's smiling, and he's he's very open with him right away. You know, and he's like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I don't want you to go because I, I just have a feeling that we're going to need you. Like, don't do not do anything too hasty. He's very open and very candid with him in a way that's that true. we never saw Picard. Yeah. And Picard that's, was very formal. Picard yes. is all about the formality. It's part of why you love him. It's also part of his flaw, if you will. And if yeah. you think about it, Worf presented himself to Cisco in very much the same way that Cisco presented himself to Picard when they first met. And when Picard first met Cisco, he kind of gave him a dressing down because Cisco was like, I was considering 
leaving and exploring civilian service. And, and Picard was like, well, I guess we should be looking for your replacement then. You know, he didn't try to convince him to stay or anything like that. He was just like, yeah, we should be looking for your replacement. In the meantime, I expect you to do your duty, you know. But in this one, when it's Cisco on the other side of that same conversation, he's just like, don't do anything too hasty. And in the meantime, yeah, I'm still going to need you to do your job. But, you know, let's let's play this by ear. Let's figure this out. He's again, he's way more open and understanding of Worf because he's been in that position before. And right. I think that's another reason why, you know, Cisco stands out to me as a as a great captain. He doesn't try to just be like, screw what you're feeling, do your job. He's more like, yeah. you do have a job to do, but let's try to work out a way that this can be mutually beneficial. Yeah. Help us yeah, both. That's, that's definitely a difference between Picard and, and Cisco for sure. Uh, yeah. Picard wouldn't do that. Picard would be like, can you do, that's actually in some ways the reason that Lieutenant Rowe left is he mm-hmm. didn't meet her on the emotional level. Yes. And say he was always um, given that. That was his famous line all the time. You are a Starfleet officer. Like that yeah. was it. You you put on the uniform. You got the pips on your collar. You're yeah. an officer. You don't have those luxuries anymore. Whereas Cisco was more like. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'll say it now. Lieutenant Rowe wouldn't have betrayed Cisco. <laughs> no. No, she wouldn't. Ah, uh, damn. Man. I don't. I don't think she would have either. I think they would have gotten along much better because they both. They both people coming from trauma and then trying to move beyond that trauma, they would have had a better understanding of each other and their motivations. And I don't think that, yeah, I don't think they would have argued as much because they would have understood each other that the pushback would have been yes on the, on the Starfleet rules and whatever else. But to me, whereas Picard's always like, they're the Starfleet rules. Cisco's always been like, you know, they're more like guidelines. Guidelines, yeah. They're they're guidelines. (laughs) Well, yeah, I just, if they do argue, though, I mean, Cisco is the passionate one. He would have argued passionately for something. That's exactly what happens in those Maquis episodes where his old friend is leading the Maquis. Um, He's trying to passionately convince him to to not, don't go that far, don't Mm -hmm. take that route. Um, But, yeah. Yeah, it's a good, good thing to point out those differences between the two characters it's what makes picard and cisco great characters to compare against is because they are great leaders but in cisco's case uh it might he's able to connect better i would see him at times with his people and uh but bringing that up though bringing up oh sorry i'll interrupt you go ahead no i was just i was just gonna make a quick observation about picard and and you know it's one of the continuing things that comes back in the episode about how picard's style of command doesn't really work anymore. And I think that that's interesting because more and more, the people that we see in leadership positions, they're more like Cisco than they are Picard. Like Picard is still like an idealized version of a commander, but everybody recognizes that they can't get there. Instead of always a spot. In in Star Trek as as shows or in? in? In Star Trek Picard. It's oh, remarked oh, upon, yeah. It, it's it. remarked upon about the legendary status that Jean Luc attained, and how there's all these captains that, while they strive for it, they can't hit it, and so they they have found ways to kind of be okay with not being able to hit that kind of paragon status. And so when he's doing things, it's kind of like there's always this reminder that hey, you are not in command here, and this is that the and the, the way you think. Right. Doesn't work anymore. Right. 
And it's always funny to me that the people who end up saying this to him, they're more like Cisco than they are uh, Picard. Right. And so it's just like, yeah, the style of command and the realization of like the implications behind what they do right. is stronger. So, yeah. Right. Well, um, I just want to say that I think, though, that Picard would have been able to save this uh, alliance with the, the Klingons if he had been there. Because uh, Picard wouldn't have stood for the whole, we are going to, as the Klingons, make a rash decision on our own without the federation's input or approval like picard would have stood up to the klingons and said hey we are your allies like you don't just get to run all over us like if you want to make a decision to do something you're going to consult me first and we're going to make sure that we're in agreement and that we're allies and you respect me and i respect you and therefore that's why i'm coming at you like this because i don't i don't appreciate being disrespected by not being consulted I think Picard, if he had been here, he could have helped save this whole kerfuffle. Um, but okay. I'm not saying that I wish he was there because that would have been like the fact that I was thinking about this. Like I had never considered that the Klingons would ever rupture the relationship with the Federation. I just considered it for granted. It was for right. granted. The alliance was 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 a done deal. It was a hundred years. It was a hundred yeah. years old. It was mutually it, beneficial. There was no exactly. need for it to not. Yeah, exactly. And Picard and Worf had already done so many yeah. great things for Galron, for example. Galron is the type who's. Just, I mean, he might be a bit rash. He might be insane, but he respects Picard and Worf, and he's not going to just. But no, that's not what happens. And it was actually a great development. I actually, yeah, they they went there with this episode. I, I agree in the sense that if Picard had found out initially about the attack on the Cardassians, I do feel like he would have found a way to justify them standing down from their warmongering. Um, but I think that he would like they would have had to figure out a way for him to basically confirm that there were no changelings in the ruling council. Um, which Cisco wasn't really able to do before there was an attack. So I think that that would, that would have been the difference there. Picard would have found a way to do that. And Cisco didn't really have any, um, any jurisdiction to do so. Like, I think that's one of the, the benefits of being on a ship because you're traveling. And so the captain has to kind of make those on, on the fly decisions, right? right. Versus on the space station, you're not going anywhere. Cisco's right. power and authority is the station, and right. what's granted to him through the Bajoran um, Bajoran territory and the right. Bajoran government. So, yeah, his abilities stop there. Whereas right. Picard on a ship is traveling, and his authority is backed up by the power of his ship and right. what he can do in in those particular moments. So, right. yeah, he would have been. I think that would have been the main difference there. Right. And so I agree. I think that they he would have found a way to get close enough to verify that there are no Klingon changelings in right. the um, in the Cardassian government. Right. But um, when it comes to the actual battle, when that finally happened, I think they both would have been the same. I think Cisco and Picard would have found a way to hold on long enough until um, reinforcements arrived, which yeah. is what Cisco does here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Also, we didn't. We didn't. I think you forgot to mention that Garrett got beat up by the the Klingons at one scene. <laughs> oh, I mean that was that was the greatest part of the whole battle scene. Like I I definitely love the space battle in in general, but when they beamed onto the station and we see the fight in ops, the fight on the promenade, the fight in the court in the in the corridors, and you've got. Gold Ducat and Garrick side by side fighting. I hate this fighting yes. hand to hand. I thought you. Uh, what does he say? Um, isn't this better than like interrogations or something? And, yes, and he goes. Interrogations. Oh, yes, yeah, I forgot. He's like, I forgot. You preferred the silent terror of an interrogation room. And he's like, well, you have to admit it was much more civilized. <laughs> this is like. They're what? covered in blood. Right, he's and got two... blood on him, and he's, you know, slicing and dicing in one corner, and Garrick's just firing at them because like, they're coming around the corner like, <laughs> like Klingon lemmings and stuff, just round the corner, dead. Round the corner, yeah. dead. You know, yeah. so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, great I also meant like, though, but like literally, Garrick got beat up in his court in his uh, tailor shop by the Klingons. Oh yes, that when, was um... that was. That was early on. It was proof that the Klingons were starting to get out of hand. And that yeah. the one who beats him up is the son of the general, as you pointed Drex. out. And so when Worf confronts him and takes his dagger, what's that dagger called? The Doc Tok. Yeah. And uh, that's, I guess, his honor, right? Apparently, he said, you yeah, took that's... my son's honor. And yeah, it's kind of like... Your son had gonna... no honor. I could give it back to you. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, we're not going to gloss over that old scene. We have to talk about okay. that. that. That is, the to me, that is the true introduction of Martok. We did yes, see Martok yes, earlier yeah, when, yeah, he did yeah, the, yeah. when he did the blood whatever with Cisco and Kara. But no, this was it. So yeah. to rehash that scene real quick, yes. Garrick was attacked in his shop by Drex and his cronies. Gets beat up pretty severely. He gets treated by uh, by Bashir. No big deal. <laughs> Worf is now set scene. to the, yeah. yes. Worf is now set the task of finding out what's really got the Klingons agitated. He confronts Drex in Quark's bar. He beats him up, flips him over. He's great. Just you know, one handed flips him. At one point, and then steals right. his uh, his duck talk from him and keeps it. Scares everybody off with some crazy eyes of his own. Right. And so then, in he's in his quarters. He's putting his stuff away or whatever. Doorbell chimes, and in steps Martok, who delivers the greatest veiled threat I've ever heard. He says, I've come for my son's duck talk. Give it to me, or I'll take it from you. And I was like, yes, that's awesome. That was great. He just, he just, I don't know. Like, he didn't even say, I'll stab you. He just, give it to me or I'll take it from you. (laughs) I was like, oh, yes. And Worf Worf just hands it over. He's like, yep, here you go. Yeah. I was like, oh man, and then they, you know, they have their moment. They're talking there, but oh, that was great. Well, Worf says something like, uh, like it, it just you, you dishonor my son, and he says your son has no honor here. (laughs) Yes, he goes, yeah, he goes. Now that I have your attention, I have no need of it, and he gives it to him. And he was like, so what would cause you to rob my son of his honor? And he's like, I cannot rob him of something that he doesn't possess. That's what he says. That's it. And he's like, what? And he goes, your son is a fool and a coward. He's like, what? (laughs) And what of his father? And he's like, ah, that remains to be seen. And I was like, ooh, these two challenging words you're throwing down here. Well, that's what I mean about what's so great about the Klingons. It's like their whole thing, which Worf is able to do perfectly, is, is, I guess the way I I was just thinking about it, it's like, 
you know the 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 saying of like if you ever have to go to prison, if you want to avoid getting beat up, you go find the biggest dude and you beat him up. So well, that's the whole Klingon culture. It is really you go is. Find, you go you, find the the dude and you confront him and you beat him up and you scare his cronies and you and that's how you establish dominance in Klingon culture. Yeah. <laughs> and Worf, thankfully, is good at it, so he's he's okay. Yes. Um, but he, it, it he confronts him. And he he didn't get any answers then. But it was enough that, like, uh, it, you know, it, cleared, it clearly tipped us off that something else was going on here. And, again, um, J.G. Hertzler, who plays Martok, um, phenomenal guy. We And this is not the first time that we have seen J.G. So, oh. he's, little... He's seen- it was another one of those characters who I felt like I'd seen him before somewhere, somehow. You have. And okay. you've seen him in Deep Space Nine before, but he was playing a Vulcan Starfleet captain. He was the captain of the Saratoga in the um, pilot episode, and Cisco was his first officer. He dies in the episode. Oh man, that was so brief. It was. It was very brief. But when that when that scene opens up on the Saratoga and they're confronting the Borg cube, the captain, the the Vulcan captain sitting in the seat, that's JG as Vulcan. Huh. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'll have to go back and rewatch that. It's been mm-hmm. so long at this point. My goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's that's good old JG there. And so gotcha. he's been a part of Deep Space Nine uh, for a while, but now he's a part of it in a much uh, bigger way. You right. Know? And uh, what a great guy he is. I actually had the opportunity to speak with JG um, a few yeah. years ago when I did a different podcast. And um, uh, he, he's great. We had a great time talking about um, when he played football, when he was in college and everything else, and um, his daughter, who's a cook and everything else. Just a very personable guy. He was running for um, city councilman a couple of years uh-huh. ago in New York, I believe. And um, he's yeah, he's very politically inclined, but he's also just – he's great to talk to. He's got a great, uh, a great personality. Um, uh, not opinionated in a way that like makes you feel like you can't talk to the guy because obviously you can't. And in fact, if you right. get him going, you can talk to him for quite a while. He <laughs> he's very engaging. He's very engaging, and I definitely enjoyed my time uh, getting to know him. Right. So um, um, yeah, I I think the world of JG Hertzler and uh, uh, obviously his character Martok here that we get and and I, that's the only other Easter egg I'll give you for or spoiler that I'll give you for Deep Space Nine. We do see more of Martok, so uh, we are not finished with this old Klingon. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I want to go back uh, real quickly to Garrick real fast. Um, yes. Uh, one thing I, again, texted you is there's everything in this episode. The only thing that wasn't in it, as I think about it, was Jake. Jake was not in this episode, nor no. Nog. But um, we have Garrick and Golducott, and so Garrick... Um, <laughs> After he gets beat up, apparently several ribs got broken, and yes. Bashir patches him up, and his Garrick's response to the whole thing is like, ah, I got patched up, I'm fine. That's right, he's, he's, he's like, yeah, they didn't do any any serious damage. Yeah, he's you're like, here. they fractured your clavicle, they broke two of your transverse ribs, and you have a, a da- you had a damaged orbital socket, and he's like, yeah, but thanks to your administrations, I'm almost completely healed. But <laughs> yeah. I did, I did severe damage to their ego. 
that's it. You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, they'll, it'll last forever. And then he also jokes about, I don't know why the Klingons would have anything against us. It's not like we've had any like conflicts. And then Bashir's like, y'all had a war for like 19 years. Right, he's like, y'all, had, y'all fought a whole war. And he's like, ah, it was a minor skirmish. He's like, it lasted <laughs> 23 years. Yeah, yeah. He was like, ah, exactly. that was ages ago. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. Garrick just downplays anything that he doesn't want to, or that he just wants to downplay. And then when he turns and he gets invited by Cisco to come take my measurements, and he's mm. like, "I already have your measurements." He's like, "Ah, come take them again anyway." And they uh, discuss obvious. Oh, well, they discuss that the Cardassians are about to be invaded in front yeah. of Garrick, so that Garrick then calls Gold Dukat. Um, Gold Ducat having realized that the uh, civilian government was about to be in power, so he switched allegiance to the civilian mm. government, uh, tells Gold Ducat, hey, you need to get your people to safety, and that um, allows uh, the Defiant to go and do its thing. Um, Which I liked that Cisco left Kira in charge back on the station. Every mm. time they've left, I've been like, you just cut the head of the snake off of your own your own organization like who's in charge back at the station so i like that o'brien who's working on the defenses and, and kira are left to, to, to you know be in charge of the station o'brien kira and odo are still there yes yeah are still there um, um oh and speaking of oh, I'll, I'll say it later go ahead you're gonna say something i was gonna say another little funny moment was when cisco and company went to go and rescue gold ducat and the, the top of council and then um you know, Gold Ducat comes onto the bridge, and as soon as he walks through the doors, he says, uh, Captain, could you tell the security guard that he would no longer be necessary? He's making me feel unwelcome. And Dax is like, I was right. You owe me dinner. And he's just like, what's that about? And he's like, oh, Captain uh, Captain Cisco bet me that you would um, thank me, thank him first for rescuing you before, before you start complaining. And yeah, he was like, and I lost. So now yeah. he owes you dinner. I was like, Wow. And you guys, turns, you guys and suck. He turns, yeah, and he turns to, to Worf and says, do you know you have a Klingon on board? <laughs> like, you have uh, a Klingon yeah. on your ship? And he's like, yeah, uh, that's not the Klingon you should be worried about. Yeah. Show him. And here yeah. these two ships are powering through coming after yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. Um, and he's like, I, I suggest that you cloak. And Worf's like, we lost our cloaking device rescuing you, you <laughs> jerk. It's like, yeah, man. And, and during the whole transport sequence, they're getting bombarded, and they're like, it's going to take us another two minutes. He's like, well, I guess we're going to find out how well this ship can you know, take a beating or whatever he's just going yeah. um, Which yeah, the Defiant, then, Defiant held up beautifully. I loved yeah. watching those, you know, those scenes of the ship ducking and dodging and veering yes. around and, and taking shots and giving them right back. I mean, it was, yes. it was great. It was just like yeah. a kind of like in its own little space prize fight. You know, the Defiant right. did not back down, did not disappoint at all. Shows right. why that ship was, you know, the little powerhouse that it is. Loved watching it. And this is what I want it, want from Deep Space Nine, and I want more of it. I want a tiny fleet of ships, the Defiant being like the flagship of Deep Space Nine, and a number of like little fighters that I want. I want them to have to defend the station from in fights. I want them to have to get into firefights. I want them to have to the Defiant has to go do a mission and come back. I want. I want that. I like that play. I just want to make sure that you know, Deep Space Nine isn't left you know leaderless while they're out doing that. Um, yeah. I like the idea that they have a, a ship or multiple ships that they use as 
for fighting. They have to defend the station. They defend, uh, you know, Cardassian. It's a station. It's stationary. It's not, it's, there is no maneuverability there. They do need something that can, again, fly around. Runabouts have been a underpowered version of that. They are literally just transport vessels, science vessels at best. Um, And I I get it, that what their purpose was, but I like, I I want action, I like the action, I appreciate the action, and this episode gave me what I wanted. We got a big firefight at the station, we got the Defiant going out and doing its own thing. Uh, I like that quite a lot. Um, And speaking of fighting, we haven't got to this yet. The whole uh, Dax and Worf fight in the Hollow Suite. Yes, cannot <laughs> forget. You know, and this before was... that, even the meeting Kira and Dax in their, they were all oh, dressed yes. up for Lancelot. Yes. <laughs> so this was kind of an extension of you know the first part where Dax was trying to get Kira to engage <coughs> in the holodecks. Because we know that uh, Kira, engage, Kira doesn't really... Wink, wink, nod, yeah, nod. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, we know Kira doesn't really like the Hollow Sweets, and so here was Dax trying to get her to kind of come out of her shell a little bit. And so it's been made... It was intimated that they've been doing these uh, programs together, that Dax is coming up with ways to kind of get Kira to, you know, just loosen up a bit. And so then here we see them coming out of the Hollow Sweets, and they've got the big flowy gowns on, because... You know, we don't know exactly what program they were running, but we're assuming it had something to do with Arthur and Camelot and so forth because she was well, playing. Well, Lancelot tried kissing Kira, but yes. she, she was playing a married woman, so yes. she slapped him right back. So Kira's, <laughs> Kira's sensibilities would not allow her to be romanced by the licentious <laughs> Lancelot. Yes. And uh, so she knocks him out. <laughs> and they're just relaying all this while Worf is standing there like, what? And then his response of uh, "nice hat, great." <laughs> so this is our first officer, and they're trying to like stifle a laugh. It, you know, yeah. this is our first officer, Major Kira. He's like a uh, nice hat. Yeah, and it's comes, it's great from Worf because he's always so deadpan. Yeah. He really is like, and I think that's why he's so like he's unintentionally funny because he's so yes. deadpan that when he says things, you can't help but laugh, and you recognize like how ridiculous something would seem to someone not in the group, right? Because everybody else saw them coming down the steps and no one batted an eye. But here's Worf, and he's just like, yeah, nice hat, and they couldn't help but laugh. They were all chuckling behind it. So great stuff. Um, And then, of course, then Dax turns it on him, and she embarrasses him by whatever it is she says to him in Klingon. And... um, um, very, it, very lost in translation. <laughs> yes, a very lovely scene for Terry Farrell. I mean, she she looked great, and she was just delivering this very playful line with right. Worf again. He was just so serious, and right. it's just like, yeah, she could yeah. light up anybody. She just it was so great. Speaking of Dax, for a moment, I just want to say I actually now I think about it. This another reason this episode was great is because all the cast had something to do. They always yes. they felt. Like, they were always, I mean, it's not like Kira and O'Brien and Bashir all were featured, or Odo is featured. It was it was a Cisco and Worf episode, if we're going to say it's an episode of a certain character or not. But yeah. every character had their place. I didn't feel like Dax was being left out in this episode. <laughs> no. In fact, in fact, I think that with, um, well, you know, with how much emphasis they always placed on her uh, Klingon attachment and kind of fixation... I think that um, 
Worf coming to the show gave her more to do in that regard because when he was, you know, still feeling out of sorts and was trying to, you know, get his focus right, here he is in the holodeck um, fighting monsters in her program that she created. So this gives us a chance for those two to interact for the first time. And it was a great interaction. You know, she's critiquing him on his his fighting ability and so forth in a kind of joking manner. And then he puts her flat on her back uh, for her critique, you know? So, um, and then she's just like, she also kind of helps him to bridge the gap a little bit with, with Cisco and, and formulating next steps and stuff. So, and then she's there to explain to Cisco what it means when, um, Martok delivers him, uh, uh, M Char's or K box, uh, Doc talk from the Mchar when he killed him, right? You know, so yeah, she's able to kind of help direct a lot of things here, and yeah, you do feel like everybody had something to do in this episode. And then of course we have the fight scene on uh, in Ops, and Dax is right there with the Batleth delivering right. blows. She was fantastic. Yeah, and I, again, it, as we talked about it before, the Batleth is a very interesting weapon. And it's a great, unique weapon. Like, and they have done a lot to make it make sense. Like, there's the overhand yeah. swinging, which makes sense. It's a it's a weapon where you could easily change your grip, um, so you could do overhand swings or just swings from the side. But tripping your opponent and causing them to fall over is a major part of it. It's in some ways, it's not about hitting them with a pointy end. It's about just getting them on their getting their their feet from out under them. Yeah, um, that's how you win. You don't win by killing them, and at least in these more ceremonial or just practice things, it's about um, just causing them to lose their footing. Yeah, it's about Which, knocking uh, them down. And I just, I, again, it's another example of I think the Klingons are the most successful thing that I think Star Trek did. Not because nothing else is successful. I'm just saying it's a unique. It's a it's a very specific way of expressing yeah. how successful Star Trek has been overall. Is that you know, I understand Klingons and I appreciate them and I like them. They're fun, they're crazy and they're weird, but I like them. Considering so. considering all the alien races that Star Trek has uh, come up with in its six decades of production, um, there there's very few races that stand out as much. As the Klingons, like if I had to rank them, you know, it'd be Vulcans, Klingons, Borg, Romulans. And the Romulans are not nearly as close as those first three, you know. Mm. Um, uh, the I mean, the Vulcans have been there since the beginning. And we, and we got a lot of stuff from them because of Spock on the original uh, series, you know. Right. But, um, yeah, considering that Klingons really just kind of came into their own, really through the next generation in Deep Space Nine. I mean, they became an integral part of the framework of the show. Like, again, Worf was such a popular character that, I mean, he went from Next Generation to Deep Space Nine. And even on Voyager, they liked the idea of a Klingon with them so much that they have a half Klingon serving on Voyager, Hmm. you know? So it's just like that idea of the Klingon culture was so strong. And yes, I'm always going to give the writers and creators a lot of credit, but I'm also going to give a lot of credit to Michael Dorn because he has played, he's played Worf so well. And especially coming from 
when they clearly did not know what they wanted to do with that character <laughs> to to what yeah. he is now. Right. One of the most prolific characters, actors in Trek. He's he right. is already credited. He's been in more Star Trek uh, stuff, more episodes, more movies than any other character in right. Trek history, and that's saying something. Especially when you consider the longevity of the original series cast, and in particular Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Right. Um, but he's been in more stuff than any other character, any other actor. Right. Um, that is a huge, a huge compliment to him. He has done so much for uh, Star Trek, and he obviously it's just continuing because he's now in Picard, playing the same character, just older in the timeline yeah. there. Um, so yeah, I don't. Uh, there's no. They're not going to be able to cap his record for a long time, especially now that <laughs> they don't do 26 episode uh, seasons anymore. And uh, there hasn't been a Star Trek movie in a while, and now he's adding to it with um, Picard. And if he does a spinoff, he's just going to cap it out. And I, I just think that that's hilarious. That in order for someone to beat his record, if you look at the way the shows are filmed now, they would have to play, uh, they would have to play their character from start to finish for at least thirty years to catch up, like yeah. nonstop though. Not where he did it in, you know, seven years on this show five years on this show, whatever, and, you know, no, no. They'd have to do it for 30 years continuously. Yeah. Hilarious. The man yeah. has solidified his record. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I'm going to give Michael Dorn a lot of credit. He he is such a great actor, and he really owns that persona of Worf, and the evolution of that character has meant a lot to a lot of people. And again, Worf is one of my favorite characters. I know we've talked a lot about Odo for this show, but when it comes to favorite characters in Trek overall, Worf wins for me every time. Yeah. And and that's in large part due to Michael Dorn. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely... Yeah. What's, what's so great about his portrayal is that he... You know, he's supposed to be a character who, again, who's caught between two worlds. And you mm -hmm. get that sense. You can feel it. You can feel the... Um, he has to be more reserved than other Klingons because he's amongst humans, but he fully understands and can embrace the Klingon culture, everything from being able to fight like a Klingon to confront other Klingons on their terms, again, in the bar, Cork's bar, and then in the, his quarters with the General Martok, um, and, and with, with Gowron. Uh, great scene there. We already mm. mentioned it, but yeah, Gal I always love Galron. He's shorter than other Klingons, so you'd think he's like a pipsqueak amongst them, but for he he's he commands respect for whatever reason. Yeah, he he's does. Just, he's and, a uh, vicious little crazy monster. Crazy eyes. Yeah. Yes, he's a vicious <laughs> little monster with those eyes, you know. Um, uh, he's hilarious. I still remember the first time we ever saw Galron on Next Generation when they were they were doing the Rite of Ascension and uh, they were trying to figure out who was going to be the next leader of the high council and so we had duras on one side gowron on the other side and they were you know sitting in the conference room on the enterprise d and duras is just talking just talking and talking and talking and gowron is sitting there and he's sitting with his hands like balled up in fists planted on his thighs and he's just all puffed you know like this and he's just glaring at him with those eyes and I was like, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with this guy? And then, you know, I found out later on, you know, that was actually a little, um, a little, 
you know, tip of direction from uh, Jonathan Frakes to use the eyes because, uh, you know, when they did all the prosthetics and everything else for the guy who plays Gowron, they mm-hmm. it stood out so much. They were like, yeah, just use it. Just go with it. Don't don't shy away from it. And right. man, did he take that advice and run with it because <laughs> those eyes have become like, that's the look, man. He yeah. just does it. You're just like, oh, what a, what a threat. Yeah. To, to widen your eyes the way you do, and that's enough for people to be like, "Oh sh! This guy's nuts. This guy's yeah. crazy." Yeah, but he he does it so well, absolutely yeah. so well. He does, yeah, um, um, oh, yeah. Great. And then again, the idea that he ends the the accords, like, yeah. I mean, I, I guess what I'm what I'm just thinking about is like, and obviously you know this, but the question now is is the rest of the show going to be about, is that going to be a major issue going forward that the Klingons, like this Alliance truly is ended. It's not a one episode. We ended it, but at the end of the episode, it's been corrected. And the, the, the show goes back to the standard of, you know, whatever uh-huh. the status quo was before we returned to that. No, but not in this episode. So, is it so, a one, two, three episode arc? Is it going to be a whole yeah. season arc? That's so, the question been- now. As I've been telling you, like I was so eager for us to get through, get to this point in the show because I feel like this is when Deep Space Nine really started to understand itself and realize its potential, mm-hmm. and was laying that groundwork. Now we had some early things from like season three that will, you know, that are important and will come back up throughout this season and every season um, after this, but. What we're seeing right now is the major framework for everything that is from from here to the end of the show. All of this is important. All of these things are going to be referenced again and again and again. And so that's all I'm going to tell you on that front because I don't want to spoil it for you. But yeah, I'm agreeing with you. This is not a one-off. This is not a quick fix, solve thing. We will have to deal with all this stuff several times before we get to a true resolution, which comes at the end. This is this is again where I feel like the storytelling for this show really takes off, where they're really starting to get into um, branching out when it comes to their serialization and right. getting into their story arcs. So, um, and I believe that this also lines up with what the showrunner um, Iris Stephen Bear was talking about at the time. There's been a couple, There's been a documentary um, about Deep Space Nine, which we'll watch later, much later. But there's <laughs> a moment in that documentary where he talks about you know they felt like Paramount kind of forgot about them for a while and they were so busy with what to do with the TNG cast. They were coming off of the generations movie and there was already talk of doing yet another movie. And then, you know, Voyager was running full steam ahead. And then of course there was the launching of a new network, UPN, you know, so they were trying to do all this stuff. And so they just kind of feel like, while all these things, all these plates were spinning, you know, everybody forgot about Deep Space Nine, which right. gave them the ability to kind of just branch out and do what they wanted. And so this is where they were really trying to push through certain things. And uh, he he talks about how it, you know, it it there was a there's this this moment where it happens, and then when people finally start to come back around and pay attention to what they're doing, it's kind of a you know too little too late. They're right. so deep into us into the storyline. Right. You can't stop it. You can't stop the train anymore. <laughs> right. So, right. yeah. In in terms of like ramifications going forward, this episode starts hinting at it, saying yeah. that those first Cardassian settlement planets uh, that were defeated early on, they've been conquered, and the 
the Klingons aren't leaving. They aren't giving them up. Um, The whole point that they were trying to make was that that the Dominion have conquered Cardassia, uh, then we're in trouble. But then, you know, Sisko was like, well, if we're all fighting amongst ourselves, it's exactly what the Dominion wants. And we haven't seen any activity on their end of the the wormhole uh, at this time, which is... Which is interesting because again, the the very last episode of last season was the the um the the this changeling telling Odo like we're everywhere. We're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we're it's everywhere. already it's already completed. The episode started with us. Great opening. I haven't said it yet. This is a fantastic opening. Oh yeah. The idea it's... that there was a changeling on board. It was a it was I, I was immediately invested. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, changelings, they said they were gonna be here. It makes sense. They're having to deal with it. We're kind of picking up. Yeah, we're kind of picking up where we left off. Odo said that they were everywhere, and here's the very next scene that we see after you know, which would have been a hiatus for us if you were watching this during the original broadcast. Here we are coming back some months later, and um, they're on the hunt. We see Cisco and Kira side by side, phasers ready, shooting at you know, uh, shooting at the station. We don't know what's going on, right? And yeah, and we certainly don't know what's a training exercise until the very end. Yeah, we found him you know? on level 19. He's escaping. And yeah. the way, what got me, which made me think it was a real changeling, is that um, he turns into a bird briefly. And as we know, um, we know that Odo can turn into a bird, but we know that he has a hard time replicating things. So I just yeah. immediately was like, oh, yeah, that's a real changeling because, you know, birds. You know, that's well, a and, real... he, and he attacked them. If you remember right. the scene when they walked into the guest quarters and they fired their, you know, phaser sweep, he right. rolled off of the chair and pushed them both into the wall to right. to escape. And so right. yeah, I mean like I was like, "Oh, it's it's attacking them and trying to move on, you know." But yeah, right. um we had no reason yeah. to believe that it wasn't, you know, a, a more dangerous changeling than it was, An actual you know? attack. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um yeah, they uh, did a great, great job right there. And and I have to say, you know, Kira looked yeah. Kira looked great. I love seeing her. You know, they've changed her uniform a little bit more in in this opener, and her <laughs> hairstyle had changed. I mean, she just she looked she looked better to me than um, in previous. Life. She looked. I don't want to say like better. Uh, yeah, she looked more comfortable. I guess I should say, right? She didn't look as like her old uniform was very boxy. Like it had these really stiff shoulders. You know. And um, yeah, and then that was gone right. here in this, and she just every, she looked yeah like it was a more appropriate, comfortable um, uniform, you know, not so stiff. Well, I certainly would say part of that was probably her hair because her hair in this episode, yeah, her hair isn't as stiff. It's it's longer, but also not as tightly cut in this episode. I noticed yeah, it was yeah. allowed. It was allowed to be more. Out, loose, no, out there yeah. word. It wasn't was quite like, as just, you know, cut tight. Yeah, that before it was kind of like, it looked like it was kind of yeah. like shellac yeah. down on her head. And now it was just more natural, you know. So, um, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, exactly. It was more yeah. natural this time. So, But I loved it. I, I loved, you're, you're absolutely right. I loved oh, this man. opening. Um, overall, great episode. And so, um, you know, final question, of course. I remember there's is, one other thing. Go ahead. Before we get to the final question, go oh, ahead. You had asked, you had asked me if I was gonna remember if I like if I were to try and guess where the halfway point was in the mm-hmm. episode where it went from episode one to two, and then while watching it, I wasn't thinking about that. So now I'm just. Do you have anything to say? Is there a particular point of you know one episode to the other that? 
No, so because the, because but... I remembered it. I because re- so when I had watched this a while back, I had watched it on uh, Netflix, and uh, Netflix did something weird, and they um, I, they didn't input the same break that it w- that it should have had, and I didn't realize that okay. that it was different on uh, Paramount Plus. So when I went back and checked it again. They actually split it where it was supposed to split. So I realized when I told you that I had not gone and checked it. So then when I went back and checked it, I was like, oh, well, I guess. And I was like, oh, that makes sense because Netflix was the reason I thought it was wrong. And now here it is on Paramount Ah. and Paramount owns Star Trek. So if if it's fun, they would have fixed it. And they did fix right. it, so there is there right. isn't a thing there anymore. But if you were a person who yeah. watched it on um, Netflix way back when, the break was when um, um, uh, it's shortly after Worf comes on the station for the first time, and right. he's on his way to meet uh, Cisco. They break it there for some reason. I have no idea why. I always thought it was a weird That's so glitch. early. But it is. Yeah. It's also really early. Um, but yeah, there was like, there's just this weird, like, blackness. And then it opens up like it's a new episode again. I, was like, I, I don't know why they did that. But yeah, they didn't, obviously they didn't do that on uh, Paramount, Paramount Plus. Plus. So if you yeah, watch it. it's just one big episode on Paramount yeah, Plus. Yeah, it's just one big, and, I, and to me that, that makes it even better because it's a very seamless transition. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it worked kind of like just a, like a, a, a commercial break. You don't even well, actually, notice. Well, it was funny. I was As I was watching this episode, for some reason, the commercial breaks weren't input on this episode. So I was able to watch the whole hour 30 without breaks. Yep. I was very happy. <laughs> Obviously I hate commercial breaks. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I do too. Uh, yeah, they didn't. I, I noticed that too. They didn't have them in there. And I'm like, I don't know if it's just because it's a, a you know, they, they put this Longer together as a whole episode yeah. or whatever, but yeah, no breaks. So I really appreciated <laughs> that as well. Um, great, great stuff. So as I was going to say, final question, Go ahead, yeah. Um, who is the best character in Star Trek, and why is it Worf? <laughs> so that's it. In Star Trek, all of Star Trek. Yes, oh, and I and and as I said, who is the best character? Not your favorite, but who is <laughs> the best, and why is it Worf? So Data um, doesn't get to get a chance, no, and no, and Beverly Crusher doesn't get a chance, and. And uh, Dax, who doesn't get enough episodes, doesn't get a chance. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like the... I mean, obviously your answer is Worf, but I feel like the answer most people would give is, is a captain, you know, Picard or Cisco. Well, the, the captains always get it. Like, whenever you ask yeah. that question, whenever you say who is the best, everybody's going to shout out a captain. I like Kirk. I like Janeway. I like Archer. I like... what? Okay. I didn't ask that. Because <laughs> the, best the captains, captain, best right, and the captains all exist in their own little bubble. You have to, you can only really compare them to other captains. You can't compare them to, you can't compare, uh, you know, Picard to uh, Tuvok or whatever, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work because they're not on the same level. Um, and so that's why I always just say you're, you're the best character who represents, you know, kind of an all around, what did you say? What blasphemy did you just utter? Strike that. 
immediately. We'll be editing hey, that out. You folks. keep bringing up bring along, uh, move along home to me every chance you get. So I'll mention Q if I want to. <laughs> oh man, David's favorite episode. Oh um, gosh, sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. <laughs> no, I mean, but no, and that and that's why I say Worf because to me he represents like he's he is us. And what I mean by that is he is the definitive outsider trying to participate in a world that is otherwise alien to him, which is us because obviously we don't exist in this kind of futuristic world, nor do we exist really in anything that's even close. This kind of utopian society, they've solved all their internal problems and now they're having external conflict and they face those on a united front. That's not something that we've ever really seen before. And here's this person with their own sense of honor and morality and an idea of how we would like to handle things and we have to rethink that in order to fit into the society that even at our best we don't totally fit into and he finds ways to succeed and of course he's got his flaws but um yeah overall he's a very successful uh, character, and I think that's why he works for me as the best character versus some of the others that just they come off as kind of one note. Like as much as I like Riker, for example, one of the things that is always amplified in Riker is his um, womanizing, his attractability, you know? And I mean, that does calm down over the years, but you have to admit throughout next generation, that was kind of the major draw of William Riker was he's the playboy, you know? So, um, so that's why, again, Worf always stands out to me because he just seemed, it's funny that the most alien to me seemed the most relatable of individuals. Yeah, I would certainly say that um, it's a powerful archetype in storytelling, the outsider, the one who doesn't fit in and has to fight against the grain. Um, and Worf really gets to embody that uh, quite powerfully. Again, as in, in two cultures, um, and as a representative of a completely alien culture, and I don't mean just alien as in he's an alien. I mean like foreign to us as a culture. Um, the Klingons are unique, and that's again why I've said it multiple times this episode that coming to understand and appreciate the Klingons is the greatest success that Star Trek has had, in my opinion. Um, they sing mm. opera. That was the other part. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was the other thing when Garrick said, opera. Like, yeah, Garrick said, um, he said, uh, what did he say? Um, it, they'll, they'll write a poem or a ballad about you to, to that Bashir. Was, and he's like, that was Bashir talking about Odo and uh, about the use of phasers. And Odo that's was just what like, was. I've never used them. I don't see a reason to start. And he's like, yeah, but if they kill you, then someone's going to write an opera about it, and I don't want to hear it. Killing a changeling, yes. Yeah, and he's like, I expect... No, he said, they're going to write a poem about you, and I don't want to hear it. And Odo's like, I expect nothing less than full (laughs) opera (laughs) if someone gets me, you know, so yes. And that's that's exactly it. The the Klingons have opera. Of all things, they have opera, and they have Uh, chefs who sing it while cooking whatever it is. And they have insults and... Another mild spoiler for you. You're in for a treat because we get he to comes hear. Back. We get to hear some Klingon opera later on, <laughs> sung by none other than Worf, Worf? himself. All right, okay. we get to hear some later. Yeah, so. he was. Uh oh, <laughs> there you go. Hang on, I'll be back. 
the camera did that right at the hour 30 minute mark. I think it's telling us it's, <laughs> we're getting toward the end here. Um, but, um, oh, and his your headphones are off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was saying that it's an hour 30 in. It fell right at the hour 30 mark. I think it it's sure telling did. us we, it's it was, the longest it was episode we've ever done. <laughs> I need you guys to shut up already. I'm tired. <laughs> Oh man, is there anything else to talk about? I feel like we we've been able to hit no, everything. We, yeah, we we have gotten through everything that I had marked that I wanted to talk about. Oh, um, no, we did. We got through everything. Yeah. So well, I'm um, just glad we we hit like the funny moments because again, what was great about this episode it had a- action. It had all of our characters. It had risk. It had actual um, you know ramifications going forward, and it had humor. It was a funny episode. We haven't even talked about Clark. You know, Quark doesn't want, you know, Worf only buys prune juice or orders prune juice. There's nothing to get from prune juice. And he gives Garrick um, a bottle of the one drink. Oh, and Garrick's like, yes, we actually do need to talk about that before we go. So that's okay. a gra- another great let's, moment. Let's do so it. We yeah. will, let's get into that real quick. So just to set that up for us. So, you know, the Klingons have now, you know, disappeared for a moment we know that something is going on right and uh quark comes not quark but garrick comes into the bar and and orders some canar which is a uh, cardassian drink which by the way you can order on star trek if you want some so <laughs> we'll we'll plug there no we're not being paid just i just know you can so do it <laughs> anyway he orders a glass of canar and quark basically gives him the whole bottle he's like i'm not going to be offloading this anytime soon and so yeah. he gives it to him and uh you know uh garrick makes the joke he's like oh um forgive me what the impending inst- destruction of my people may do to your business yeah. um you know so they're having their little moment and then um quark's like i want you to try something for me and he takes him out of glass and pours it. And he's like, what is it? And he's like, it's an earth drink uh, called root beer. And Garrick's like, nah, nah, I don't, I don't want to. He's like, oh, come on. Aren't you just a little bit curious? Just try it. And I love how he like slides it slowly over to him. And then before he tries it, Garrick looks around. like He's trying to make sure no one's judging him while he tries this earth drink. And then he takes a sip and he's like, oh, it's vile. And he's like, I know, it's just so bubbly and happy and cloying, just like the Federation. And then he's like, but you know what's bad? If you drink enough of it, you start, you start to, like, to it. like it. And he's like, it's insidious, just <laughs> like the Federation. And so it's this yeah. great little breakdown of root beer. And, you know, right. it, as, as great of a scene as that is, I have to agree. Like, I don't know anybody who doesn't like root beer. It may not be the first carbonated beverage that you go for, right? Yes. You may call yourself a Coca-Cola person or a Dr. Pepper person or whatever that is. But if all a person has to offer you is root beer, you'll you'll probably take it. Yeah, they won't turn it down. And I don't know what that is, but... It's It's interesting that even in the 24th century, root beer, of all things, has survived to the point of being the known, other aliens know us by root beer. (laughs) It's so true. Like, anyone who's tasted root beer can immediately remember what it tastes like. And it's exactly right. Bubbly, cloying. 
It's and sweet. you like it the more you drink it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sweet and it's different from every other soda that you it have. Is you can't unique. you yes. can't think of anything else that really tastes like it. Other sodas and things like that they share taste or whatever, but root beer is root beer. You know, like that's that yes. is it. It has a very distinctive taste. You know, people do those taste tests. Can you tell the difference between Pepsi and Coke and whatever else? Blah blah blah. Those exist because they are so similar that right. it's easy to confuse people. But you cannot confuse root beer with anything else. It is a very right. distinctive flavor, and I think right. that's why it lasts over everything yeah. else. But yeah, and I don't think – and again, I have I have not met someone who totally dislikes it. Again, it might not be your go-to choice, right? but to say you actively do not like it, I don't think so. Now, I could be wrong. If somebody out there is like, oh, my God, even the smell of root beer makes me want to vomit, I apologize. But unfortunately, <laughs> for the next 400 years, we're all going to be known by root beer. So get over it. <laughs> Sorry to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, great scene, great little moment where we're dealing with two aliens uh, analyzing the psyche of humanity right. here. Yeah. Um, I yeah, guess what there you want to say about that scene? Small thing. Nothing else about that scene, but there is one other small thing we haven't talked about, and that I forget her name, but Cisco's love interest. We really talked Cassidy. About her all. Yes, yeah. Cassidy is back. Briefly, um, briefly, yeah. She brings Cisco a gift, a baseball hat from her uh, brother. Eight weeks away to go visit him and see a game, and Cisco's yeah, like, I yeah. might just want to do that. <laughs> And he had some, what was it, silk? Some Tholian silk that he got from yeah. the Tholian ambassador. Yeah, which he had apparently a is some, Yeah, it's apparently yeah. some high-end silk yeah. um, that, she, that he gave her. Right. And, um, yeah, they're having their, you're getting ready to have their meal together. Cisco is dressed in a Jake Cisco finest. Right. This hodgepodge of colors and <laughs> glows he just threw on in the last minute there. I, I don't know what they were thinking with that. He looks like he looks like he walked through um, a carpet like store he... and just started pulling out stuff. Yeah, and, and then putting it on himself. Yeah, <laughs> there's just like it's weird. It's weird colors. Like it's it's mostly brown, and then you there's know, like part of it that's black, and then there's this weird splash of purple on one shoulder, and it's like this odd pattern of stripes and checkers or something. It 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 was it's bad. It, it's funny you say that because I was thinking that when she came on screen with her blue, she didn't have a dress on exactly, but her whole outfit's just one solid blue. I remember thinking it's a very oh, solid, looks... vibrant blue. Even and the she shoes, looks nice. she right? Looks nice. <laughs> Even the shoes were the same color, and I was like, "How did?" I mean, she does. She looks so great when she steps through the door, and then she's standing there next to this guy who looks like he, you know got beat up and then blindfolded and dressed. Yeah, a, a kaleidoscope beat him up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, what? what is going on here? You can afford Tholian silk because clearly you don't have any money for your own clothes. Like, I just... Like, <laughs> so kept that for yourself there, sister. Right. Yeah. Make yourself a decent shirt, man. Like... <laughs> I don't know what that is with them. And they're like, oh, my off-duty clothes are terrible. I guess that's what it is because everything is programmed through the replicator. And since the uniform is pre-programmed, they don't think about it anymore. So the idea of of design yeah. right, just goes out the window. And I'm like, you have a tailor on your station. Go <laughs> so see true. him. Go How see often him. has Garak just been like, why? why? Oh, I, I must imagine he people watches every day. Like He just posts up outside of his shop. What? 
and just watches them Garrick's walk by. Taste? What if that's Garrick's revenge on the world? Is he's I refuse everyone... to believe. I refuse <laughs> to believe that Garrick made that. No, that, that's my point, though. Is like it's his, it's his revenge on the world. He's intentionally giving out bad fashion advice um, to everyone he meets. Maybe. That's his. That's his. That's how he gets through the torture of having to be a tailor. Is he just oh, as, intentionally as... screws it up for everybody else? Uh, he's getting back at them because <laughs> he's no longer the spy master that he wants to be. So he, now he just imparts poor fashion advice on the aliens that pass through yeah. the system. Maybe wow. he's like work secret secret messages in the clothing. So his that's how he gets messages well, out. Is his clothing if, actually hides messages? Is people wearing them don't realize they're passing messages along to other people or something? <laughs> well, if that is not just the, uh, you know, he's just the source of misplaced rage because the the Cardassians are the ones who expelled him, and yet everybody else has to suffer. <laughs> so, including man, us, yes, yeah. including us. So, and I've already remarked that I I enjoy Cardassian architecture, and some of their clothing is is pretty nice as right. well. I like some of that styling, but um, yeah, Jake and and Ben are holding it down on right. ugly clothes, man. Right. They are just just awful, just right. awful. So, yeah. but you're right. Well, it was it... nice to see. It was nice to see Cassidy again, right. and um, see how close they've become. Because, you know, in the last few episodes that where we did see her, we know we know that they had just gone really on one date. We didn't know there's been more. And that's kind of what we're left to assume here in this is that they have been um, they've been together more times. Right. right. So. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, and she's even you know, she's on a she's going on a mission soon which is going to separate them again. And then he's leaving as well. So their time is short. She even, they even remark about how their time has sucked, yeah. but it's getting better. So they have a kiss. Yes. Passionate kiss. So yeah, things are progressing for Cisco. Our man's coming into his own, the evolution of Cisco from, <laughs> from postpartum widower to station captain. And he's got a, a, a budding relationship and uh, yeah. Doing doing all right for himself. Pretty proud of man. Pretty proud exactly. of exactly. Yeah. So, but all right. I think that that will do it. We're not quite at two hours, which is probably a good thing because this was a lot. I mean, a two parter, of course. But that so that makes sense. Um, did want to wrap this up by just quickly reminding people again of the giveaway contest. So all you have to do is wherever it is that you're listening. I think that there's you know I did see a thing about. On Spotify in particular, they're opening it up to where you can leave comments on podcasts that you listen to and things like that. So you can do it there. Um, you can do it pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts. I know Apple has the same thing now. And then if you are watching this um, through our YouTube channel, you can leave a comment there. And all we're going to do, again, just something that you heard on this show that you either liked or disliked, whatever that is, again, keep it, keep it, you know, G-rated here. My kid's running around. I don't understand terrible words on my screen, please. So keep it polite. And then what we're going to do is just for for the comments that we find, we're going to take a big mass of them. Um, put your uh, username on a sheet. We'll draw it out. And um, then we'll reach out to you. We'll message you and uh, get the particulars so we can send you uh, your personal um, Fire Caves mug. And again, you won't have to pay anything for it. You just got to tell us where we can send it to you, and it's yours. 
okay? So real simple, real simple contest, probably the easiest contest you'll ever have uh, to enter, and uh, it costs you nothing. So uh, take advantage of that while you can. <laughs> there, there is going to be a time window for this because obviously we, you know, we have the the live broadcast. And then we've got you know what's going to be on YouTube, and then of course listening to it on um, wherever it is you listen to podcast. So we'll give this a, a couple of weeks, and then on a future dated episode, we will announce who won, if anybody, you know, because uh, obviously people have to comment, and then. Um, That'll be it. We're just going to say your username. We're not going to tell your particulars. Oh, so-and-so's username, a.k.a., you know, Sam Smith in Wisconsin. We're not going to do that. Just your username, and that's it. Um, but, yeah, that's all you have to do, and um, you'll get to enjoy your mug. <laughs> so coming up next week, we have another great, great episode. This is one that frequently ranks at the top of uh, top ten lists of uh, best episodes of Trek or must-watch episodes of Trek or best episodes of Deep Space Nine. This is one of them coming up. It is The Visitor, of course. And, um, David, you are in for uh, a really, you know, heartfelt treat here in this next one. So that's all I'm going to say about it. And all until right. next time, yeah, just uh, be prepared because it gets you. It gets you. <laughs> well, all right, guys. Until next time, as I said, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.